Let me open us with a word of prayer. Then we will divide up in our groups. If you're visiting with us, just join whatever group is closest to you. And, and we'll get started. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another Sunday where we can gather together with your people and to be encouraged and strengthened from your word and convicted. I thank you, Lord, that today is the day our church has set aside in our evening service to remember your death through the Lord's Supper. I pray that we will be encouraged by your word in Sunday school and then in the main service, Pastor Steve, and I pray that we'll be able to come back tonight and there'll be a good attendance as we remember that you died on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help us set aside all the distractions of the day. I pray that you would encourage and empower us to listen, to hear, and to apply all the truth that we hear this morning and this evening. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be continuing this morning our teaching in 1 Peter. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we are continuing what has been and has become a multi-part series dealing with what I spent some time establishing is a critical issue in the life of the church. It has to do with the roles of husband and wives. God ordained the husband and wife relationship as the very first human relationship. And we are examining in detail Peter's teachings on the role of both the wife and the husband. And we've been focusing first on the wife because that's the order of the text. We are going to get to the husband. And many of the the things that are applicable, for example, this morning could have some applicability to husbands as well, but we are focused on what Peter's focused on, which is what is the character of a godly wife? Now, for an outline and a simple outline, I, I'm just going through marks of a godly wife that we're gleaning from the text. Begins in chapter 3, verse 1, and continues on down to verse 6. This whole section is addressing Christian wives. And as we remember, again, it's part of a larger section about how to live holy lives, how to live godly lives. Chapter 3 builds off a long discussion from chapter 2 on submission. We keep saying the word in the same way, in the same way. And it really, it all goes back to be holy as God is holy. Stated another way in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In other words, it's living evangelistically. Living so that people can see the gospel as a reality in your lives, not just lip service that you pay to something. Peter has talked about submission in the context of the government, even if the government is corrupt. He's talked about submission in the context of the workplace. In his day, it was master-servant. In our day, the analogous situation is our employers. And even if you have an unreasonable boss, you submit. And he sets forth the gold standard of examples, Jesus. Jesus was subjected to brutal and unfair accusations. He was subjected to abuse. And yet, as Peter makes it clear, Jesus responded in a godly way. While being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to God the Father, which is the ultimate example for all of us. And that's the motivation we have, both for submitting in those other contexts and for a godly wife as we'll see in just a moment, that's one of the motivations 
for you. So, as we've been working our way through these six verses, I'm just going to briefly review the marks that we've covered so far of a godly wife. I'm not going to reteach everything, but I do want to set the table again because we're moving into a new section of this same thing. So, the first mark of a godly wife is she's willing to trust the Lord. In the same way you wives, meaning in part, the same way that Jesus kept entrusting himself to God the Father, a wife ultimately has to entrust herself to God. The second mark, she's willing to submit to her husband. In the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. In other words, this is not an option, this is a mandate. And it doesn't depend upon the type of husband you have. In fact, as we're going to see in just a moment, even if you have an ungodly husband, the duty of a Christian wife is to submit. This is a voluntary act, not being forced into it, but it's a voluntary act of placing yourself under someone else's authority. The third mark of a godly wife is she cares about her husband's soul. Many Christian wives at that time in the context of First Peter were married to unbelievers. And Peter gave us this motivation in part so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. That's talking about their salvation. And being disobedient to the word, as I laid out in great detail, isn't an issue of, well, did he sin in this way or that way? The word is used there as referring to the gospel message. In other words, this is somebody that heard the gospel and rejected it. And the idea is that maybe through the wife's behavior of being godly, the husband can be one. And yet the way the husband's supposed to be one is primarily through her life, the fourth mark of a godly wife. She's willing to let her life be her primary witness. He says that they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I spent a lot of time in our, the last time I taught in this area. And the idea is not that you never share the gospel with them. The idea is they've already heard the gospel. That's why they're defined as disobedient to the word. So now, according to Peter, what they need is to see the gospel lived out. They don't need to be beat over the head and hammered over and over again with the message they've already rejected. They need to see the impacts of that message lived out in a wife's life. And as I alluded to, and we'll see as we go down to verses 8 and 9, this applies with equal force to a Christian woman married to a Christian man. Because some people obviously are married to Christian husbands. They still should be primarily focused on living in a godly way. Chaste and respectful is just the type of behavior. It, It certainly is pure, but it's not... Loud and brash, it's quiet, fruit of the spirit type of living. This is supposed to be the life of a Christian woman, of a Christian wife. So that's a brief and quick and simplistic overview of everything I've taught in multiple lessons. As a reminder, these are all online, just the audio portion. And they're on the Lakeside website, so if you need to re-listen to something if you want if you missed a lesson you want to catch up with more detail of what I taught you can listen to it but all of that was really the first two verses of chapter three now we're getting into verses three through six and over the next two weeks we'll finish this up but I'm going to read that entire section again but today we're going to be focusing on teaching from verses I think primarily verse three Possibly verse 4. 
In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So as we step into this, it's still in the same context, it's still in the same teaching on a godly wife, but there's a mark here, and so in verse 3 we see the next mark of a godly wife. This is number 5. She is not consumed with her external appearance. She is not consumed with her external appearance. Now, in the various translations, depending on what version you use, the language might be a little different, but it's basically the same focus. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Now, in verses 3 and 4, what Peter is doing is he's setting forth a very clear contrast of what not to adorn yourself with and what to adorn yourself with. And this, again, the context of a godly wife living in a godly way in many respects to reach out and win the soul of a disobedient, meaning unsaved husband how a woman presents herself, how she identifies herself from a beauty standpoint is relevant. It's really explaining again how does a godly wife, a Christian wife who wants to follow the Lord, how does she keep her behavior excellent? And the issue in verse 3-3 is an issue that apparently has always been around since the fall of man. And I want to be clear, the issue does not only affect women. This is one of those things that as I'm teaching through and I'm teaching principles, men, you can see whether you fall prey to some of these issues. But again, in this context, I'm dealing with the text and it's primarily focused on the issues of a godly wife. And it's a temptation that women faced... 2,000 years ago, and it's a temptation that women face today. It has to do with how you look. When people physically look at you, what do they see? But beyond that, it has to do with your heart. What is it you're trying to get them to see? Your adornment must not be merely external. The word adornment, we don't use that terminology all the time, but it's a very simple concept. There was a particular commentator that I like who described it this way. Adorning refers to the focus of attention for one's attractiveness, the thing one uses to make oneself beautiful to others. 
In other words, what do you focus on to make yourself attractive or beautiful? When you think about leaving the house, when you think about being in public, what are you primarily focused on? Now, the words that are here and that I'm going to explain have been taken to the wrong extremes at times and have been misapplied at times, but we don't want to miss what is being clearly taught. Peter highlighted for his day three common areas of a woman's appearance. The hair, jewelry, and fashion, what clothes were being worn. It's a snapshot of that culture at that time, and yet you don't have to do much imagination to realize it's a pretty consistent snapshot for us today. When he talks about braiding the hair, he's not talking about a situation of someone just trying to get their hair up so they'll be more comfortable. You could actually do a Google search, and it might not be profitable, and you've got better ways to spend your time, but you could see in that day and age, a woman's hairstyle was something else. Hours and hours would be spent with professional people weaving the hair to make elaborate productions on the head. There's actually statues and things you can see where you can still see that represented. This wasn't just an issue of it'd be more comfortable if my hair was up instead of down. This was an issue of everybody's going to notice. I never know what everybody sees, but as I was thinking through this, there was a book series that turned into a movie series called The Hunger Games, and the people in the capital wore garish outfits and outlandish behavior, and their hair was to the roof. And I thought, that's exactly the picture you would have here. Again, this wasn't about convenience or comfort. This was all for show. You could just picture a room full of ladies, everyone trying to one-up somebody else, so that when we come in the room, everybody's going, ooh, ah. That's what was happening culturally. That's what Peter's referring to. Wearing gold jewelry was the exact same thing. At that time, ostentatious displays of wealth, which means at least some people in the church had the ability to have some jewelry, most people were poor in that time, but there were people within the churches that had means. Jewelry for a woman was a status symbol again. Wearing a lot of various jewelry to call attention to oneself. The amount of gold jewelry showed your status. It showed flair. It announced that you had arrived. Again, putting on dresses... The idea was not wearing clothing. In fact, I'm going to clarify something in a minute because people have taken this to extremes and they've ignored what the actual language says. But this isn't an issue of just putting on clothes to cover yourself, which is perfectly appropriate and prudent. This was an idea of putting on clothes to attract attention. Of dressing in such a way so that when you can see the total package, the hair is elaborately done over hours of time, the jewelry is everywhere and it's sparkling, and the clothes are shiny and fancy. It just says, I'm here, everybody look. That's the opposite of a godly wife. That's not the focus of a godly wife. 
Now, I want to be clear. He's not saying that women can't fix their hair. It's not a sin to go to, I don't even know what it's called, beauty parlor is what I grew up with. So it's not a sin to go to a beauty parlor. It's not a sin to wear jewelry. He's not saying that a woman can't wear a dress. And yet, over the years, there are people that have taken this literally. Such that if a woman did anything to her hair, she was considered in sin. If she wore any jewelry, it was considered sin. But that's not what Peter was addressing. He's not saying that the goal of every godly wife is to look as plain and miserable as you possibly can. If you can make yourself a plain Jane, if you can make yourself unattractive, that's closer to godliness. That's, that's not his point. I think we can see that from a couple of different ways. I'm not going to read them. But for example, if you read the Song of Solomon, Pastor Steve did a whole lesson on that. There, there are various passages where it's talking about the beauty of the bride and some of the jewelry she was wearing. And it was esteeming her beauty. So, so it's obvious that that's not inherently wrong. It's the issue of the heart. Again, some people have taken that so literally and said you can't wear anything, and yet when you look at the Greek, if you took the actual wording, as I read one commentator, it would mean a woman can't wear clothes, if you're going to apply it literally, because it's not a specific type of dressing. So, so we have to realize the issue isn't that you can't do your hair, that you can't wear jewelry, that you can't put on perfume. That, that's not it at all. The issue is, what are you adorning yourself with? Why are you doing those things? The issue is the heart and the motivation. He is saying to all wives, don't spend all your time and energy trying to look good on the outside. A Christian wife should not be consciously spending her time thinking, how can I get more people to look at me? Now this is one of those times, I think, where we don't have to struggle to see the application in our day and age. If you look at our culture, you will see very quickly the most important thing is how you look on the outside. If at any given moment, if you have cable or, or direct TV or something, and you just went to the guide, what you'd see is 50 infomercials about how you look. Either weight or some kind of workout program to look better, we are consumed still by appearance. It shows the human heart hasn't changed. We always think we're more advanced than everything. No, we're not. We've just got different means of showing the sinfulness of our hearts. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I'm not on social media. It's not some godly thing. It just doesn't interest me. But what you see in news reports all the time is that somebody's pictures over here on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the other things are, it's always people showing off how they look. This should not be what motivates a Christian wife. Don't be obsessed with portraying a certain look on the outside. And it's a challenge. Again, remembering some of these were married to unbelieving men who probably had worldly expectations of their wives. Again, it's okay to work out and stay in shape. It's okay to do your hair. It's okay to wear nicer clothes. It's okay to have jewelry. 
But it's not okay if your primary motivation is so that when you walk in the room, all the eyes turn to you. It's interesting because there was a time in the Old Testament era, and it's just a picture that I think provides a good image of what Peter would be rebuking, but there was a time in the Old Testament where the women of the nation of Israel were consumed with these things. I'm going to read a section from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 3, 16 to 24. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. But it's Isaiah 3, 16 to 24. And it's not a complimentary analysis by the Lord. Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud, and walk with heads held high, and seductive eyes, and go along with mincing step, and the tinkle the bangles on their feet... Therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, and veils. Those were some ladies that were focused on the external. That really is our world. It is. If, and you have to look in the mirror and be honest with yourselves, ladies. If your primary focus is calling attention to yourself, you need to be careful. It can put you on the wrong track. God isn't pleased with that type of idolatry. What makes this so challenging is that we all are consumed with a certain measure of vanity. We all have impure motives at times. We like compliments. We like if somebody noticed that we got our hair done. We like if somebody notices that new bracelet that a spouse bought. We like it when somebody notices, oh, that's a very nice outfit. And those things aren't always wrong. The challenge for us is separating our heart motives It's just a matter of being honest with why you're doing what you're doing. I can relate to this issue because I can't think of anybody that's more... Well, I can, but I'm a vain man. Let's just put it that way. I'm always trying to look a certain way. I don't know how it worked out that way. When I was a kid, it drove my sisters crazy because my clothes didn't match and I never brushed my hair. But as an adult, I always want my hair to look a certain way. Is my tie straight? Does my suit look a certain way? And again, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with wearing a suit. It's just when it becomes a consuming obsession. I had to think a lot about myself as I was getting ready to teach you ladies because I realized how much of this I struggle with. Now, it's a funny thing. My mom found something of my dad's and I was putting it with a safekeeping place for our jewelry, and I noticed an old bracelet that I had that I had not worn in years. I used to wear it. And I almost started wearing it gold, and then I was teaching on this, and it's like, oh, I'm going to mess myself up here. So I I may wear it at some point in the future because it was a nice gift a long time ago, but today I was like, oh, I can't do that. That'll That'll really throw me off. The point is, it's just being careful with our hearts. Every Sunday, I'm going to look in the mirror and see if my hair okay for me to walk out the house. 
But if I spent all my time trying to call attention to myself, then I know I'm sinning. Then I know I'm stepping over the line. A Christian woman is not to be known solely for her outward looks. That's not what you adorn yourself with. That's not how you should characterize yourself from a beauty standpoint. That's not the most important thing. Now, it's not helping women that men are fixated on looks. We add in an element of difficulty. But ladies, don't focus on what men around you think. Debbie and I had a lot of discussions when our girls were very young about how we would try and encourage them to dress when they're older because every young girl can recognize when guys' heads are snapping. And we never wanted our girls to try and develop a lifestyle that said, I want heads to snap. That doesn't change if you're 70, ladies, or 60, or 50, or 40. It's always the case. Focus on what God thinks. Now, thankfully, the negative is counteracted with a positive. It's not a matter of just saying, don't do this. Peter tells you what to do, and that brings us to our next mark of a godly wife. It's our sixth mark. A godly wife, she prioritizes her inner character. She prioritizes her inner character. Peter says your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Peter is saying your beauty shouldn't come from the outside. Your beauty should be developed on the inside. Let it be the hidden person of the heart is the greatest contrast. Let it be the hidden person. In other words, what you should be spending your time developing, ladies, is something that nobody can see. It's again the heart. It's so much easier to look good on the outside. I've done a lot of premarital counseling over the years. And I will jokingly be very clear, this is a joke. I will say this with a couple when I recognize that I have a development with them. But I will say to the young couple, well, just remember this. Just focus on the external looking good on Sundays. That's a whole lot easier than working on having a really solid marriage. Obviously, I'm joking because that's a serious issue. But the point is, it's easy to look good on the outside. It really is. People can see your hair, go to a different beauty salon, get it looking better. People can see your clothes, get a new set. People can see your jewelry, just shine it up a little bit. But the hidden person of the cart takes work. Probably if you spend all week, ladies, working hard on your inner character on Sunday, people aren't going to walk across and say, you look very different. You look wonderful. But the point is not to attract attention to yourself. I can tell you, if you live godly over a period of time, people will notice. And remember, the primary person who's supposed to notice is your husband. He's going to see things are different. Remember, apart from God, no person but you really can see your heart. 
And even us, we don't see our hearts clearly because we deceive ourselves. This is really talking about the core of who you are in Christ. Your character matters, ladies. The question is, what type of woman are you from the inside out? And he's commending a godly focus on a transformed heart, the type of character produced on the inside because of God's work in regeneration. I mean, there's a clear flow of thought here. Remember how this section began. They may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Well, how does that behavior come about? Because of the transformed heart. Because of the change. This hidden issue is characterized with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Imperishable, again, paints a contrast. What happens to hair over a period of time? For guys, it falls out. For ladies, it thins. It gets gray. Your hair doesn't look the same as in that high school graduation picture. But the same way with jewelry. Jewelry eventually breaks down. Clothes eventually wear out. Imperishable is talking about those heavenly qualities, the types of things that are created that will last for all eternity. If you work on your character and cultivate Christ-likeness, according to Peter, the idea is this doesn't go away. This will look the same 20 years from now. In fact, it will be more attractive 20 years from now if you're consistently doing this. This will remain beautiful even when your outward beauty fades, which it does for all of us. And a gentle and quiet spirit is again a reflection of the Spirit of God working in you. As one commentator put it out, what does this really mean? We can often see things better from the opposite of it. So if someone is pushy, or they're selfishly assertive, or they're noisy and boisterous, that's the opposite of the character that we're supposed to be cultivating. What's interesting is how, and it's not interesting in the sense of, wow, that's surprising, it's just what we can see is how contrary this is to the culture. In fact, it's fascinating because there was a time when the values of America for women might have at least loosely looked like biblical values. But what's been happening my entire lifetime is that women are being told, you need to be more assertive, you need to be more aggressive. Somebody pushes you, you push back. You need to be selfishly assertive, standing up for yourself. You do need to be pushy. If you want what you want, you've got to get in there. You need to make some noise. If the guy's the loud mouth, you be louder. If you think about what is commended in our society just through popular media or the consumption of entertainment, it's someone who doesn't take any gruff. Again, the woman that pushes back. A wife on a TV show who mouths off to a rude husband, we applaud. He needed that when she laces her comments with sarcasm at his miserable character, we just chuckle and say, that's what I would say. 
We're told for far too long that women have suffered in silence, so let's kick down some doors and make some noise and let everyone know that you're not going to take it anymore. You're going to stand up for yourself. Let me just say that's the opposite of what Scripture tells you to do. If you're a godly wife desiring to please the Lord, then these words like gentle and quiet are not just words. You will look different. Again, being meek and kind and deferential to others is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of complete trust in the Lord. It's not an issue of where you think I'm just going to accept all these things. It's that you're going to accept things because you trust that God who loves you is sovereign. And even if you're in a bad marriage, you trust that God is sovereign. The way to deal with a husband who's disobedient of the word is not to put on your boxing gloves and come at him. It's to live godly. It's to cultivate the character qualities that no one can see but that manifest themselves with a gentle spirit and a humility and a meekness. That's the only way that you can do what Christ did, which is when you're being reviled, not revile in return. And when you're suffering and hurting and you don't utter threats. That only comes about through the cultivation of that inner heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these types of things are wrapped up in what Peter is calling godly women to be. Ladies, you need to prioritize your inner character. It's a simple enough test and it can apply to any of us, but for ladies I would just say, do you spend as much time working on your godliness as you do working on your appearance before you leave the house? I have to be careful painting these pictures because I'm guilty of so many things, but do you spend as much time working on your character as you do your makeup and your hair and your clothes? As I thought through the text, and I always, as you I'm sure do, when you're reading Scripture, you think of other Scripture. And this week, as I was preparing to teach, a particular image jumped into my mind of what exactly Peter is talking about. Now again, he's talking to genuine believers, so understand that I'm using a different scripture to paint a picture. I'm not saying this is what that other scripture specifically was doing. Jesus was dealing with a specific issue and condemning certain type of behavior. I'm just saying you can see a picture of what is positive and what is negative. I'm going to close this and read from Matthew 23, 25 to 28. And I think again, it's not perfect, but you can see a picture of what not to be and what to be. Matthew 23, verses 25 to 28. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. None of us should aspire to that. Don't be so consumed by the external that you become a hypocrite and ignore what really matters. Let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for all of the wives in this room. Pray that you would help them apply this scripture to their hearts and their lives. Pray that they would be able to prioritize the issues of the heart as opposed to the external things that we all see. Lord, I pray that for every man in the room as well, though. Because we can be vain hypocrites as well. Lord, help none of us focus so much on cultivating the favor of men by them noticing us. Help us focus on you. Cultivating your favor by developing internally the Christian character that you desire. Lord, I pray for every one of us. I pray for those of us who are married that we can apply the truths that we're learning and pray for those who are unmarried that they'll be able to apply these truths if they one day become married or in the counsel they give to family or friends or children or grandchildren or brothers or sisters or even their own parents. Lord, I pray that we will be able to exemplify for a lost and dying world, the godly characteristics of a Christian wife and a Christian husband. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.